0: Good evening, Anchorage, Alaska, the Lower 48, and the rest of the world. It's Bruce Lindquist with his podcast, Wonderful Counselor. Tonight's episode is a spooky little story titled, The Netting. In the end of the story, you will be given a choice of four endings. Choose the first, you will sleep well. The rest, no promises. And if you dare to listen to the fourth ending, don't say I didn't warn you. Remember, keep telling yourself, it's only a story. Oh, and there'll be a special message at the end, so keep listening, even after the music fades away. Okay, let's use that imagination of yours. You're about ready to enter a bedroom, and once you do, there is no turning back. Candy awoke out of her sleep. Her blonde hair tossed about her head like soft cotton. Her pet Jinx, a mud of a cat, was laying beside her. She stroked the pile of fur to a contented purring sound. She looked at the clock. It's 11, and at midnight she'll be 25. Candy's idea of excitement was a warm fire and curling up to a good book with a cup of tea from Candy Lane, her company which she was CEO of. So she was surprised when suddenly a thought entered her mind, why not celebrate early and go for a moonlit walk? As she was considering the possibility, another thought came to her. That sounds too scary and so the conversation continued you're too old to fear the dark besides what could possibly happen just going out for a brisk stroll candy decided she was a big girl now not a child afraid of the boogeyman and besides the waterfront wasn't far away and nothing bad ever happened in this part of town candy looked at the clock again had she really been talking to herself that long She would need to hurry if she wanted to be at the riverfront lookout by her birthday. She decided to throw caution to the wind, threw her coat over her nightgown, slipped on some comfy shoes, and headed out into the night. A chill went through her previously warm, sleepy body, as it felt the touch of the darkness. But she just picked up the pace, figuring she'd warm up with the walk. Besides, she wasn't going to stay out very long. She just wanted to see the moon over the city and have it wish her happy birthday. A foggy haze settled on the ground in front of her, but the light of the full moon lit her way through the trail to her favorite place where she could look down on the river and see all the way to the city lights and beyond. At 11.55, she was there. She bent over the rail fence, staring at the water below. The reflection of the full moon was even more beautiful than she imagined. Okay, Mr. Moon, it's almost time for my birthday kiss. And in just a few moments, I'll be. She didn't get to finish her thought. Her eyes froze as two green eyes directly behind her filled the water's reflection. An intense force hit her body, which was too painful for words, and all went black. Candy woke up to the sound of screaming, then realized it was coming from her. Her body shook violently. She tried to move, but she couldn't and to her horror, her arms and legs were strapped to a bed. She felt a sharp pinprick in her left arm as warm fluid entered her body. Then the darkness came again. When Candy came to, she was afraid to open her eyes. Her imagination was racing. Would she see some serial killer approaching her with a case of surgical instruments to torture and dismember her body until there was nothing left but broken bones and scraps to feed to his ravenous dogs? A sound broke through her thoughts. Hi, said the disembodied voice, and as her eyes started to open, she could make out an outline of a face. It was a young woman. You're safe, she said. Candy, with eyes wide open, looked at the nurse. Where am I? As she heard a voice come from her, she did not recognize. You're at Riverside Hospital on the psych unit, and I'm your nurse, Gloria. Candy had so many questions, but was afraid of the answers. Was I, Candy, barely could finish the sentence. Gloria said, no. You weren't. There's not even a bruise on you. And you're strapped to a bed, and when it was for your own protection, whatever happened to you, Once you got enough air, you ripped off the IV, threw chairs against the wall. It took several staff and several injections of tranquilizers to bring you to this moment. Candy shared in disbelief. It's my birthday, the nurse said that was six nights ago. You've had night terrors every evening and wake up screaming. I need to know what's happened to me, Candy said. Someone wants to talk to you about that tomorrow, said Gloria. As for tonight, you need to rest. Then the warm feeling coursed through her veins. She saw the green eyes, and all went black. Candy woke to the sunlight coming through the window in her room. By afternoon, Gloria asked Candy if she was sure she was ready. Candy assured her that she was, and an elderly police officer came into the room. His name was Officer Benjamin or Ben, as his friends called him. He had such a look of relief. I am so grateful you're okay, he said. Candy gave him a look that said, Share your secrets with me. Ben, however, would initially be the one asking the questions. What do you remember about that night, Miss Lane? Candy recounted what she remembered. Ben then informed Candy he was on patrol that night, when he saw a female body lying on the pathway, covered with a translucent substance, shining bright, in the ground fog. He called 911 and stayed with the body until the ambulance would arrive. He tried to remove the substance, but it adhered to her skin. Miss Lane? I have been a police officer for 40 years, said Ben. I have witnessed horrible things. I have never seen a face so terrified. It was like something unseen was feeding on your life. And then I heard the muffled sound of a scream. I had to do something, so I lit a flare and touched the encasement, and it opened, and then it just disappeared like it never was. When the ambulance arrived, well, you know the rest. Candy thanked Ben for saving her life. He acknowledged with gratitude. And as he was leaving the room, Candy said, I don't think I'm going to be the last. Ben made direct eye contact. I hope you're wrong, Miss Lane. Dear God. I hope you're wrong. Candy told Gloria she would not need to be strapped in tonight and would be going home tomorrow. Gloria questioned if that was a good idea. Candy said, I'm going home tomorrow. And she slept without nightmares. As Gloria entered the room the next morning, Candy mentioned Gloria had a button missing from her uniform. Gloria looked down. How in the world did you know you're clear over there that question was left hanging in the air the doctors came and all encouraged candy to stay but she was determined to leave and get on with her life gloria let her know it'll take noon until the discharge paperwork candy asked gloria if there's anything to read gloria laughed all i have are my rn course books which i will be testing for next week gloria brought the books over and candy touched the covers I thought you wanted to read them, Gloria inquired. I did, Candy said. Gloria sighed. Test me, said Candy. Gloria read off the practice test. A thousand questions. She didn't even get to the multiple choice answers, and Candy answered every one of them correctly. Gloria felt played. I didn't know you studied nursing. I haven't, said Candy, but I now know I'm going to be a nurse. Are you hungry, Gloria? No, I mean not for real food, not for imitation hospital food. My treat! You have been so kind to me, and the least I can do is buy you lunch. Gloria was hungry and knew of an international restaurant, but she had another motive. It would be too much for Candy, and she would need to return to the hospital for a few days for rest. Candy, however, from the moment she walked in and heard all the languages, wasn't overwhelmed. She noticed the menu written in many different languages and spoke them fluently. Gloria got a quick bite and had to leave. Candy, however, stayed and conversed with each person speaking their language. A young Japanese woman, who so enjoyed talking so much with her in her native tongue and specific dialect, offered to give Candy a ride home, which she accepted. When Candy opened the door to her apartment, There was that familiar pile of fur greeting her. She warmed up her tea and put her PJs in the dryer, slipped them on, and never felt more comfortable. She was home. Candy devoted her life to being a nurse. Usually, there was a time requirement, but she became an RN in just six months and was able to work at either a medical or psychiatric side of the hospital. She had some income from being the CEO however, sold her small tea and coffee empire to her sister, which more than paid for the uh, college loans. Candy discovered if she worked, the nightmares wouldn't bother her, so she put in as many shifts as she could. Life was good unless she closed her eyes. Her supervisor took note and informed her she needed to at least have the weekend off. Candy Candy reluctantly went home and nearly collapsed collapsed with exhaustion under a hot shower. She looked at the fog on the shower door. Green eyes were shining back at her. She screamed and couldn't quit screaming. She pushed herself as far back to the shower wall and slid to the floor. She awoke with freezing water pouring all over her body. She was afraid to move. It's going to be a long weekend, she thought to herself. She then heard a loud pounding on the door. She tossed the towel around her. It was one of her neighbors. Are you okay, Miss? Sounds like someone's being murdered in there. She opened the door just enough to explain that she was okay, made up something about seeing a spider and being deathly afraid of them, and the neighbor left. I can't stay here, she thought. I'm going to need to find another place. When she got back to work, other nurses asked her about a weekend. She made some passing comment about how glad she was to be back at work. Candy made her rounds She was on her evening shift. She knew tomorrow would be her 26th birthday, and she was dreading it. Just after midnight, a call came, and a woman named Lisa was found barely breathing in a local park. The ambulance was bringing her to the hospital. Candy watched as the ambulance red lights lit up the night, that familiar sound of the siren as the medics ushered the woman in. Candy was just staring at the woman like she was a reflection of herself, and watched her grasping for life. There was something glistening on her skin, no one else seemed to see it, so Candy slipped it into a specimen cup and hid it in her pocket. The doctors were not ready, for when the woman attained enough oxygen, she became like a terrified wild animal, and Candy had to administer a tranquilizer, and then took the woman to the psychiatric unit. Candy watched them strap the woman to the bed, and she waited. The woman came out of her sedation shaking violently and screaming, and trying to tear at her skin. Candy sat down next to her and said, You're safe. You're in a hospital room. I know what you're going through, and you're going to make it. There will be some hard nights, but I won't leave your side. For six nights, the screaming seemed endless, but during the day, Candy got to know the woman, and they shared stories of the bone-chilling moments, seeing those eyes and feeling the intensity of something crashing on their bodies. Lisa decided it was time to go, Candy informed management she would take the month off, and her supervisor was thrilled. Are you hungry, Lisa? Lisa was famished. So Candy took her to the international restaurant. Lisa could speak every language. She also, as it turns out, knew as much about nursing as Candy did, but she wasn't passionate about it. What she did take an interest in was a man playing the stock market on his computer. She made the recommendation. Well, put your money where your mouth is, he said. I would like to buy your shares, said Lisa. The man quoted a ridiculous price, and she said sold and gave him $10,000, which was all the money she had. The guy shared, here, take my computer too. I'm done with it. Lisa looked at her stock options, and within a few hours had amassed a small fortune off tech stocks. Carrie brought Lisa home, and knew neither one of them could stay in this place. People would ask too many questions. Lisa informed uh, Candy, I have bought us a new home. I offered the owner $2.1 million. It's worth twice that much. But when you pay cash, the deal's done. The house sat on 100 acres on top on part of a mountainous hillside overlooking the city below. As Candy walked in, Lisa commented, And it's fully furnished. It was part of the deal. What are we going to do with all this room, Candy asked. Lisa shared cryptically, we will need all of it, for what is coming, she said. She dead-eyed looked at Candy. Up here, no one will hear us scream. The next day, Candy returned to her home, said goodbye to her old place, and the new owners were quite fond of Jinx, so she gave him to their daughter. When she returned, Lisa was making more money, more than she ever needed. Candy was not comfortable leaving her at night, although because she knew the horrors that would await her if she closed her eyes, Lisa suggested they walk the property, and as night was approaching, both women realized they were being followed, so they waited for their pursuers to arrive. A pack of wolves surrounded them, then an alpha wolf literally went into a submissive position. They petted the wolves and realized that they would be their security system, but much more than that. On the nights Lisa was terrorized, the wolves would come to her side and comfort her. Candy realized it was time to head back to work. Another year had passed, and and a second woman was brought to the hospital. The story was the same. Her name was Kira. She was from the West Indies and had beautiful dark skin and darker eyes. When Candy brought her home, She looked at all the empty space and wrote down a shopping list. Soon huge boxes arrived. They were not computers, they were computer parts. And in the next six months, she built a computer unlike anything in the world. It was voice-activated programmed to all of their voices. It had all the latest technology, as she developed a program to hack into any computer. Silicon Valley had a lot of secrets, and she knew all of them. Candy found Lisa working away on her computer. She had purchased massive quantities of gold. One company was making this much money would be suspicious, but she had a hundred companies she was running. Kira approached Lisa and Candy. I have something to show you, she said. Kira explained, we have a lot of questions, so I decided to try to find some answers. She explained she has been monitoring all the museums, language banks, genealogy centers, and compiled the data. What I'm looking for is are we the first ones, and the answer is no. Going back to the time of the Egyptians, for example, I found a word that was etched on hieroglyphics on the Sphinx. Each culture going back through time has either drew or written about this. Look at this picture of a rock with a woman which looks like a net around her. The word in every language is described as this, the netting. It is spoken of in legends, mythologies, every civilization, from the Incas to the totem poles, of the First Nations in the Pacific Northwest. This has been happening all over the world. Wow, that's amazing, Kira said Candy. I haven't shown half of it, said Kira. I did a review of the numbers. While I can't say all the women were just turning 25 in the days of the Babylonians or in the Tuzi China Han Dynasty, I can say the correlation is getting stronger in 1720 in America's first census. The data becomes more convincing as the years progress. I would say, whatever hunts us, or hunted us, and leaves us with nightmares, and these amazing abilities, chooses women, just before they turn 25. Further, this used to happen every 100 years. Now it's happening every year. We don't have a house big enough, said Candy. Kara said, I get a sense, whatever this green-eyed netter is, We need to begin to look elsewhere for more women. That is why I'm monitoring all police computers, emergency rooms around the world. We need to be ready. Kara looked at her computer. Looks like we're late. Big Island Hospital in Hawaii reports 25 year old woman was found on the beach with some sort of substance on her and is in the psychiatric ward. Candy left for Hawaii. She waited for the woman whose name was Mona after she left the hospital and met with her on the beach. Like all the other women, Mona wanted to know what was happening, and was willing to fly back to Riverview. When she arrived at the house, Candy encouraged Mona to share her story. Mona said that on the plane, the pilots got sick, no one to fly, so she flew big plane, which is 747, and landed it like a pro, said Candy. Of course, there's this one little thing, right, Mona? Mona shared, I never flew plane before. Lisa remarked, well, it looks like we're going to be getting an airplane. No more commercial flights for us. Mona gave Lisa a list, and she smiled. Someone is going to be building an airplane, said Lisa. Six months later, Mona had built her plane. There was nothing like it on Earth. Speed faster than the SR-71. It had stealth technology. And when Kira got to play and installed all her computer systems, it had state-of-the-art instrumentation and navigation. Mona shared, it will not need a runway. It goes straight up and can hover. Okay, said Candy, how fast is this? And what do you mean straight up? You go up and out of Earth's atmosphere and then land at location of choosing anywhere around the world in two hours, said Maya. Candy got busy outfitting the plane with all the needed medical equipment. It would need to be a small flying clinic and psych hospital. To say the next few years the women were busy was an understatement. In total, there were 10 women from now from all over the world. Candy and Lisa Mayo were American. Kira was from the West Indies. Baya, or Bay was was Chinese. Amika was Japanese. Kachiyo was Russian. Natara was from India. And the last woman brought in was Amira from New Zealand. Amira addressed the group. She went to get access to the computer and built a program that created a laser microscope so detailed it could even see atomic structure. She asked Candy for the sample found on the woman and began to study its molecular composition. She compared it to all substances, element tables known on Earth, and even using Cura's hacking system was able to analyze rocks that came from the moon and Mars, and even space dust that was collected from the old Voyager missions. She addressed the room. The substance is unknown on earth. She further explained to the women. She knew things yet to be revealed. The women listened. I'm a tracker in my native land. I can find the green-eyed creature. She brought up a country of Thailand on the computer. A small village came to view from a satellite connection. Well, it looks like we're headed to the jungle, said Candy. As the team arrived, they surveyed the area. Lisa shared, here's the only one girl... meets the profile. A mirror led them to the exact spot, and they saw the young woman leaning over a pool, then two green eyes glowed, a substance covered the young woman, and the creature disappeared into the jungle. The women took the woman named Akar Archarja back to the house. Lisa had been monitoring her computer and noticed this woman should have been netted sooner. She reconfigured her model. Before this occurrence, the netting was increasing but now they're slowing down. Achara said, The creature with the green eyes is dying, and we have only one opportunity left. Kara was busy with her mathematical computer model. Okay, I have no reference point anymore. The most powerful computer in the world can't figure this out. They all returned to the house. The next day, the sickness spread through the women. They literally went into comas close to death, except Amira, Achara, and Carrie, and, and Candy. Somewhere around the world, the last netter will happen. We have to be there, said Candy. She wondered if the creatures dying had anything to do with the sickness. And if the creature died, would they die too? Candy was busy caring for these young women, who were now her sisters. Amira and Akea also became sick, but before they both went into their comas... They informed Candy, go to Scotland, the Williams Castle, look for water and torches. Candy loaded the plane and piloted it to Scotland. She walked the entire path of stone around the castle to the area where the water is until she saw the torches. It was 11 o'clock Scottish time. At 11.15 a red-haired Scottish woman walked out on the rock pathway and leaned over the rock wall gazing into the water. Candy approached. The woman was surprised initially, but quite friendly. Who may you be, she said. Candy informed her who she was and why she came. The woman's name was Gwen. She shared, your offer's interesting, but I want children. Candy informed her she would have two two daughters. You're sure about this? asked Gwen. Yes, said Candy. So I go through a wee bit of hell to become a woman who's never existed before and will have abilities to be one of the most powerful women in the world. Yes, or walk away and not ever know who you may have become, said Candy. Gwen thought about it, and she looked like she was going to leave, and then turned and looked down at the water. It was just about midnight. Candy saw the green lights and watched the netting come out of the creature. It covered Gwen with a translucent film. She watched the creature continue to encase the woman with the substance. It then turned towards Candy. She froze. The green eyes of the creature held her motionlessly, and then the creature walked past her and fell off the rocky path into the sea below. Candy knew it was dead. She looked at Gwen, covered with the netting, and waited. It would not be possible for the first thirty minutes to break into the casing. Gwen seemed at peace, and then she watched her face make the ugliest contortion. She heard the silent screams, and then continued to wait and watch. But the screaming got to her, it was just too much, so she set her free with a torch flame. She loaded Gwen on the plane and took her back to the house. The moment Gwen walked in, all the women got well. Over time, all of them except Candy and Gwen lost their abilities and much of the house was closed. Gwen over time would marry and as promised gave birth, with Candy being in the operating room, to two healthy twin girls, Kenna and Casey and over their lives, growing up, these girls would play with their aunties and, of course, Grandma Candy. Age and death eventually settled on the aunties, and one by one they passed. Candy, too, was filling her age, but to live the life that she had was more than the price of a few years shaved off on the other end. On her deathbed, she gave the girls each a gift, and instructions when to open it. She gave Gwen a gift, as well with instructions, and made her promise When Candy breathed her last, Glenn took the instructions and burnt them in the fireplace. I'm sorry, Candy, but I can't do that. Gwen was devoted to raising the twins with as normal life as possible. They had no special abilities. In fact, they were about as normal kids as you can get. They played and had wonderful childhood. Just before their 25th birthday, the girls opened their gift from Grandma Candy. They confronted their mom. We read what Grandma said. How could you take that decision away from us? You don't understand, said Gwen. I saved you from it. The girls were insistent. You were given a choice. Are you better than us? Gwen was hoping this day would not ever come, but it was their choice. She shared, okay. I'll take you, but you must wear these bracelets. Young women agreed. Gwen flew them back to Scotland, and they were walking down the rock pathway by the castle. There were the torches, and where she looked down at the water before she was netted. How she wished she'd have chose differently. Candy was wrong. She let her daughters know there are four choices to how this will end tonight. You can leave and have your normal life. If the creature is still somehow alive, one of you will be netted and the other will have to set her free. If one of you is netted and you leave your sister in the encasement and see what happens, that's uncharted territory. And the last one will be dependent upon your first choice. Ending 1 Cassie and Kenna looked at their watches. They had five minutes left to decide. The daughters initially turned their backs to their mom and leaned overlooking the water, but at the last possible moment decided to choose a normal life. Gwen embraced them, and they got on the plane and flew home. Gwen breathed a breath of relief. They would all have a normal life, and what a gift that is. Gwen couldn't be more proud of her daughters. You ended the curse, she said. Gwen then glanced at the calendar. Hey, tomorrow night is Halloween. What are you going to dress up as? Cassie and Kenna looked at Gwen and said, Really, Mom? It's trick-or-treat, said Gwen. We chose the treat, didn't we, Mom? said both daughters. Yes, you sure did, Gwen sighed with relief. You sure did. Two. Cassie and Kenna turned their backs and faced the water. The green eyes approached them. Kenna was covered with a translucent substance. Casey watched her sister slowly suffocate, and the screams were too much for her, so she set her free by fire. Gwen brought them both back to the plane, where Cassie would leave a normal life, and Kenna would experience terrors of night and live with special abilities, and spend the rest of her life in search for women netted by the creature. Ending 3 Cassie and Kenna turned their backs, and looked down at the water. Green eyes approached them, and Kenna was covered with a translucent substance. Casey watched, and despite the screams, she said, I'm going to witness what no other woman has seen. The screams were deafening, and then she sees something crawling, breaking through Kenna's body, leaving a shell of what was her flesh and bones, and it ran down the path. Gwen looked at her daughter, Casey. She's whimpering. My sister, what have I done? Well, you could have a normal life, said Gwen, but you will not ever see your sister again. Let's go home. Cassie would have traded places and lived her all her days in haunting regret. She would also spend her entire life bringing women to the home who had been netted by her sister. Ending four. Cassie and Kenneth turned their backs on their mom and looked down at the water. Green eyes approached them. Eyes fired translucent substances, covering them both. Gwen continued to cover them with the encasement. She waited. Then she freed Kenna with a torch, she was barely alive, and watched the netting, eating away the flesh of her other daughter Casey, and then the creature emerged, ripping apart what was left, leaving withered flesh and bone, and runs away into the night. Gwen loads up Kenna on the plane. As they are flying, her daughter said, as she was sitting in the co-pilot, Mom, I'm confused. Were you the creature the whole time? No, said her mom. I was less than half the creature. I was able to keep it at bay. And I would have, but your decision changed the equation. The more of the creature took over. Where is Cassie now, mom? Gwen clicked on the computer. I put a tracking device on both of you, depending on who would be netted. Wow, she sure is fast, said Kenna. Yes, she'll be in Australia in about six hours, said Gwen. Mom, will the next woman have a choice like you and we did? Yes. We will get there before your sister. Mom, there's one thing I don't understand. What's that, Kenna? said Gwen. You all went through this horrible experience. Why didn't I go through it? Did you find a way to help me? No, said Gwen, and she pulled off her daughter's bracelet. Kenna immediately was immersed in this out-of-the-world pleasure sensation that coursed through her body. Mom? Yes, Kenna? This feels so good. I could stay like this forever. Gwen explained. That is because when we're first netted, we don't take off the translucent skin because it touches every pleasure center of the brain. Otherwise, we'd just toss it off and be free from it. An hour passed. Mom? said Kenna. I'm really starting to feel numb. Then silence. Gwen heard her daughter whimper. Mom, this is starting to hurt. Yes, dear, I didn't have time to let you sit in the casing long enough. But don't worry, at least you won't feel the pain of childbirth. Her daughter's cries intensifies, so loud they drowned out the sound of the engine. And then, empty of tears, her body jerks into spasms, and every nerve fiber has lit on fire. Kenna's eyes roll back in her head and she screams, until she has no voice left, and then just shakes uncontrollably in silent terror, as the plane traced the dark night sky. If you made it this far, you may be asking, Bruce why would you write such a horrifying story? First, I warned you that this would get graphic. So you chose to come this far. You could have picked any other ending. What I wrote was just a story, words on a paper, a voice recording. It isn't real. And as much of the images of women being eaten alive from the inside out are graphic, and the ending of the woman tortured beyond imagination, it was their choice. What is scary is, how will you end your life? What ending will you choose? Do you realize if right now you closed your eyes and you do not wake up, and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is nothing compared to what awaits you? Eternal torment, and it would be your choice. Do you want to spend eternity in hell where demons eat through your flesh and feast on your bones forever? Or do you choose to let go of your pride and instead of being possessed by hell, asking Jesus to forgive you and receive his Holy Spirit, to love and to have abundant life, not abundant death. God so loves you, he allowed himself to be tortured beyond anything that I've recorded here, and killed that you might live. He raised from the dead and brought you to life with him. What ending will you choose? God will honor your choice. The next episode is number 18, titled Lucifer Meets the Risen Christ, and it will be out next Saturday.